You know, some people say that a coffee shop is a third place. You ever heard that? A third place? You have your home. That's your first place. You have your work or your classroom. That's your second place. And, you know, whether it's a Starbucks or some local coffee shop or, uh, or uh, Big Apple Bagels, they brought the uh, muffins today. Let's give a shout out to Big Apple Bagels. <clears throat> so the idea is, <coughs> yeah, that was that muffin there. Okay. The idea is that uh, the third place is another place where you feel like you're welcome and you can relax and be yourself. And so part of the Christian walk is learning to rest in Christ and trust in Christ. And we're going to do a lesson today for everyday Christianity, everyday Christian spirituality. Five things we do every day to deepen our walk with God. And the first one is to rest in God's grace. And so we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. In the next two minutes, we're going to watch a video. But more than that, it's my prayer that we will kind of settle in with God. Let's do it. In the back of the pew in front of you, there's a Bible. And if you don't have your own with you today, would you take one of those? Turn to Philippians in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A kid in my church back in Canada said, God enjoys purple cows. 
And so I have to think through that every time. G-E-P-C. Anyway, Philippians is the P. Purple. All right? So uh, Philippians. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we did Country Sunday, we did chapter 4. Today, on Cafe Sunday, we're doing chapter 3. I'm working my way backwards through the New Testament with all of us. And we are going to talk about Paul's advice for everyday Christianity. And it begins with verse 3 of chapter 3. I think we have it. For we worship, we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ, would you read the next phrase, has done for us. Let me do that again. We rely on what Jesus Christ, out loud, has. We put no confidence in human effort. One of the amazing truths of knowing Jesus Christ is it's all his work and not our work. You know, we, we come to faith, we are changed, we become a true Christian um, by grace through faith, by God's riches at Christ's expense. You've heard that, right? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And I don't earn it, I receive it. Right? Right? And so it's my prayer that everyone who is part of our church family has had one of those defining moments with God. A time when you realize for yourself that you, did not, that you rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us and put no confidence in human effort. See, Jesus wants us to be in a relationship with God which is different than religion. Uh, religion is what I do to please God. Religion is D-O, do. Relationship is D-O-N-E, done, right? What's relationship? Would you say it with me? D-O-N-E, done, done. It's what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I think, I hope, then most of us who call Davison Free Methodist Church home get that. That we, we become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ by an honest, sincere prayer from our heart in which we receive His goodness, His grace, His forgiveness for our sins. And he comes and lives within us. But I learned a long time ago that good church people like us Soon after we become followers of Christ, we begin to forget the truth of grace and begin to sort of slip back because, you know, yeah, I got into the family of God by grace through faith, but now, now that I'm in, I need to work harder to stay in <laughs> and to be a good Christ follower. And so pretty soon, after a few days or a few weeks, uh, what I received as a gift now turns into a duty. And soon, if I'm not careful, it turns into a drudgery. And uh, I remember my, my first church in Estevan, Saskatchewan, Canada, six miles over the border from North Dakota. Not the end of the world, but you could see it from there, okay? And, and it's, it's actually a real pretty little city, and, and uh, we had a great congregation, and I was you know, about a year into the ministry, and I'm like, I don't know, this feels like 
a duty. And it feels like when I preach, all I do is tell our people to try harder. And it basically the, the message to believers is, you know, jump a little higher. Uh, put out a little more. You know, show up a little more often. Put a few more bucks in the offering plate. Uh, and I, it doesn't feel right to me. So I called my mentor, uh, Bishop Don Bastian, uh, and I said to him, uh, I described what I just described to you. And he said, well, I've been in the Free Methodist Church all my life. And I, he said, I think what we really need is uh, a rediscovery of grace. Grace. I said, no, I got grace. Grace is how I get saved. Grace is how I get in. He said, no, grace is how you stay in. <laughs> you know, grace is how you walk your walk. It's not because you have to, it's because you get to. It's, it's not trying harder or jumping higher. It's trusting more. It's being more open to Jesus, not more self-driven. And I have tried for 35 years since that time as a pastor to get that lesson into my heart and share it with my congregation because there's a great danger in coming to church all the time and wanting to be a really sincere Christ follower, and that is legalism. Legalism. If we're not careful, that's what it turns into. It turns into the fact that, okay, we all got to figure out what the rules are, and then we have to try harder to keep all the rules in order to make God happy. And I grew up in a church with a lot of rules. <laughs> you know, we don't smoke, drink, dance, or chew, and we don't go out with girls who do. Right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, those aren't bad rules, but if that's what you think makes you a Christian, you're mistaken, friend, you know. And, uh, and, and to, to begin to change from having... Uh, a rule-bound religious experience with God to a relationship in which under Christ I figure out the standards for my life and the convictions that I have. Because here's what I know, self-indulgence leads to self-destruction. Okay? But that's just smart. <laughs> that's just the way life works. You know, you know the people who are out there living the party life and making you feel guilty because you can't do it because you're a Christian? Uh, you know, I, I, I live as much of a party life as I want to. You know, I, I, I get drunk as often as I want to, <laughs> which is, I don't, right? Not because I can't, but because I know the price there is for that. Anybody know there's a price for that? Somebody came up to me after and said, you know, uh, you, you, in that list of stuff you mentioned smoking, and he said, you know, I smoked for 20 years and quitting smoking was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, you can quit smoking because you know that it's going to wreck your life and cost you a bunch of money and ruin your health. Or you, know, or you can quit smoking because somehow that's going to make God love you more. And that is wrong, right? That, that, that is, so, so as we grow in Christ, Paul says, we don't trust in human endeavor. We don't do the right thing because somehow it'll get points with God. We do the right thing because... God gave us the Ten Commandments to protect us. We don't break them. When we disobey them, they break us. Think about it. When we disobey them, they break us. God's looking out for our own good. And so everything then begins to shift 
from what I have to do to what I get to do. And friends, that can take a lifetime. But it starts with relaxing in the grace of God. Nothing I can do will make God love me more. And, I, and so I learn that my walk with him is a privilege and a joy. And I can take a deep breath. I can take a sip of coffee and know that he's there for me and he loves me. And the second principle in this passage says that we remember what matters most. I once thought these things were valuable. And he has this long list of all the religious things he did, okay, prior to that. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What does he consider them? What word? I consider them what? Worthless because of what Christ has done. Wow. Yes, everything else is what? I think he's getting a point here, okay? He's repeating it. Worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as what? Garbage, so that I could gain Christ. If you're a Greek scholar and you know the original language, you know the English translation of the word garbage is a polite term. It's not the Greek word. The Greek word is um, something we don't say in church. It's uh, manure. It's um, dung. Uh, uh, poop. Are we? You know? Are we there? Yeah. Do we get, get? You get where we're going here? That's the word. That is the real word. Or I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. So, did anybody think that um, being a more successful person, having more, whether it's more money, more stuff, and nicer stuff, uh, mattered a lot in your life at one point, like a lot, a lot. Uh, yeah. What other people think of you? What you, how you look, what you, how you dress, the sort of the image you project, right? That important. We live in a world that tells us every day that is the most important thing we're doing. You know, we we have a pop culture <laughs> that says it is all about your stuff. It's all about your car and your house and your clothes and and uh, and your reputation and. Paul says, if you're not careful, that consumes you. It becomes who you are. It's your identity. But in Christ, we take on a new identity. And so things that used to matter way too much now don't matter nearly as much. It's not that they don't matter, but they're not all important. They don't drive me, right? They don't, they're not my identity. They don't consume me. I control those things instead of those things controlling me. Because I have something more important now. I have gaining Christ. And that's more important than gaining stuff or gaining wealth or gaining uh, a, a big reputation. So what does that mean? Well, it means that every day I remind myself, you know, the stuff that I sweat all the time at school and at work and with my friends, what, all, the, all the stuff I think I have to do to measure up that's not that important. And being the person God wants me to be is way more important. 
And I don't know about you, but it sometimes takes a while to get my head straight, to get those values sorted out. To, to, I was Chuck Swindoll who taught me a long time ago that when one of those commercials comes on TV and it says, if you drive this car, you will be cool. Or if you wear these clothes, you will be hip. When one of those comes on, you look at the TV and you say, who are you kidding? Now, I'd like you to try that this week, okay? When you hear one of those commercials, I, I, do, it, I do it more in the car when there's nobody around, right? And I hear one of those, you know, wear these shoes and, and your dreams will come true. I actually heard a commercial that. And I'm like, who are you kidding, Right? Who are you kidding? That is just not true. It is just not true. Get it through your head. Get it into your heart. All right, then he gives us another everyday lesson. Every day, get to know Jesus better. You know, that's why when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, uh, he didn't just take you to heaven. Uh, He could have done that. You're here on this earth to get to know Jesus better to prepare your heart, soul, and mind for being with him forever. And you're here to make a difference. You're here to bless the world around you. And how do you do that? I love it when people in our congregation do something kind or thoughtful or helpful and somebody, I get the story back. You know, that was one of the coolest, quiet, powerful witnesses I've ever seen. You know, they they reminded me of somebody, capital S, right? How cool is that to remind people of somebody? And they're, you know, they're leaning in. They're beginning to listen. Why? Because we get to know Jesus. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience What? Would you read that last phrase? The action from the, read it again. The, from the, all right. So now notice, I want to know Christ. Not I want to know about Christ. You know, I I don't, I don't just want to know about it. There's a, did you know there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing someone? You know, there are some pretty famous people in the world and I know about them, but I don't know them. But then there are some really awesome people and most of them are right here and I'm, I'm getting to know you more and more and more and I know you. I don't just know about you, right? And I feel blessed by that and there's a big difference. So we get to know Christ personally and it's very interesting in the middle he says, I want to suffer with him. You know, if there's any knock on the 21st century church in America, is that we don't want to suffer with him. You know, our idea of a good time spiritually is, is uh, everything going up and to the right. <laughs> Having good times and everybody being happy. And, and uh, we're even taught sometimes that if we're really close to God, you know, life will feel grand and, and beautiful. Well, Many times it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes when something is hard, it's actually good. Sometimes we've been talking about it now for a couple months. Sometimes it's in our grieving that we feel God's comfort the most. And none of us want that. We're not asking for that. 
We're not seeking that, but we know that God can meet us there. He is near to the brokenhearted. Anybody? He is near to the brokenhearted. You know, a bunch of us are going to go to Haiti. And it's going to be a blast. And we're going to have days when, uh, you know, we're so thankful that we got to go. We're going to see a smile on a kid's face. And we're going to make a connection with somebody. And it's going to be so cool. But there's going to be hard days when we're not sure why I signed up for this. That may be the, the day in which we learn the most important lesson. Are you with me? And so, so it is with us. So it is with us. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to my Christian conviction and it may make me somewhat unpopular. And I know that in the workplace and at school, when, when you say no to stuff that everybody else is saying yes to, there's a convicting thing that happens. It bugs them. <laughs> they get mad at you because you're not going along because they know they shouldn't be doing it either. And in that moment when you are suffering this sort of rejection of other people, guess what? You're being like Jesus. He suffered. He was misunderstood. He was despised and rejected. And there are days when we are too. It's part of being a Christ follower. You know, over the years, I am so blessed to pastor this church. And, you know, I stand up here and say, for 60 days, try tithing. You know, give God 10% and give it, give it here to our church. And so many of you have said yes to that. And I know that when you do that from a pure heart, God will bless you. And some of the biggest lessons I have ever learned in my walk with Jesus were lessons that I learned with my checkbook and my bank account. And here's what I know. Sacrifice is normal for Christians. Sacrifice is normal for Christians. You know, we think, oh, you know, it was a big deal or, or I really, really went the extra mile. And many times that's how it feels and bless you for doing it. But guess what? It's, it's what we do. It's what we do. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This coming Wednesday, uh, Nancy and I are going to make a trip down to Temperance, Michigan, just on the outskirts of Toledo, where we used to pastor. And um, a dear friend of ours has gone home to be with Jesus. And she was just one of the saints of our church there. Every week she would come and, and bless me in some way, just encourage my heart. And she was part of this group of older folks, uh, the, the ladies who folded the bulletins on Friday afternoon. There was about 10 of them. And uh, can you imagine the conversation that went on when they were folding the bulletins? Like they knew everything about everything, right? <laughs> and they heard all the concerns and criticisms and, you know, whether the church was doing the right thing or not doing the right thing and whether the pastor was, you know, got it all or not got it all. And, and, uh, and, and she chose to bless my life. And because of that, 
You know, I wrote on Facebook this week a tribute to her, and I said, it made me want to be, to live up to what she thought, you know, to be the best I could be, to bless her life and to bless our church and to honor God. And I just know that on Friday morning when she breathed her last, Ginny went from the eternal life here with God into God's eternal presence forever. The resurrection from the dead. Next week is what? Next Sunday? Easter. Did you know that followers of Jesus Christ are Easter people? We are Easter people. Death does not work on us anymore. Aren't you glad? You know, Pastor Gary is alive in the presence of God right now. Right now. More alive than he ever was here. And so this is the truth of God's word that we need to get to know Jesus better. You know, there are some people who live their lives so far from Jesus that if they go to heaven and get into his presence all day, every day, I don't know if they'll like it. It kind of be awkward, you know. I didn't spend much time with him here. I don't know, spending all my time with him forever. Like, that's a little much, isn't it? No, <laughs> no. So my heart is getting ready for eternity every day. All right, what's the fourth lesson? Press on humbly. I don't mean to say, now who's writing this? The apostle who? And does anybody know where he's writing from? Prison? Does anybody know how much of the New Testament the apostle Paul wrote? At least half, right? Maybe more than half? Are you with me? Give me something here. Right, you know, we know who this guy is. All right. All right. Then just mm-hmm works. Anybody give me an mm-hmm? All right. We know who we're talking about. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to, to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. Okay, this is this guy. He is a giant of the faith. The Bible tells us he writes in two different places among his letters that he had a, a cosmic, supernatural experience with Jesus. He was like an apostle born out of time, he wasn't one of Christ's apostles while Jesus was on earth. So Jesus blessed him by giving him his own personal, up front, up close encounter with Jesus Christ in a mystical moment he describes in 2 Corinthians 11 as feeling like he was caught up into heaven. And what does he say about that? It's not that important. No big deal. You know, God blessed me with that, but that does not define me. And then he goes on and he lists all the things that he did for Jesus and all the sacrifices he made for Jesus, right? He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned within an inch of his life, okay? And then he says, but that's no big deal. Because there's something much, much bigger. Some of us think that the things we do for God, like, you know, they're just like, we've, we've just done everything for God. When, when like Paul, the Apostle Paul, who could have been so proud, the danger here is spiritual pride. Been around here, know my Bible. I'm a good, upstanding member of that church. And, you know, they, and they could count on me. And somehow it gets, it gets dark. It gets selfish. It gets prideful. Anybody heard of the seven deadly sins? Anybody? 
There, well, there's a lot more. <laughs> but they're the, seven, they're the seven sins that are like the start of all the other sins, right? All the other sins grow out of those seven sins. What's the number one most deadly sin? Anybody? Pride. Pride. It's the one we see the least. It's the one we kind of blow off. And so Paul says, I want to press on humbly. I'm not proud of what I've done or who I am. I just want to, I just want to be more like Jesus. Don't you love that? I'm not full of myself. I just want to be full of him. I don't need to tell you about my encounters with God or how much I pray or how much I give or how good I am all the time. I just need to show him more. You know, the last thing, every day, every day I forget what I cannot change and I focus on the future. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. And would you read the rest out loud? And receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is all right, the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I'm not there yet. And if I get all sort of consumed by the stuff I've been through and the visions that I've had and all I've done in the past, then I miss the new thing God's ready to do for me. And, you know, that can happen. It can happen uh, if you're doing the outline there in the program. I think there's three things. There's regret. We can't change the past. We can only learn from it and grow from it, right? Mm-hmm. That would be an mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's regret, and then there's unforgiveness. Um, a lot, some of us went to an amazing concert, Matthew West, the other night, and they had this video of this woman who forgave the guy that uh, killed her son in an accident. You know, this... Uh, it was just phenomenal, right? How could you do that? How could you forgive? And she talked about forgiving again and again and letting Christ give you the grace. There's something freeing that happens in forgiveness, right? Now, amen. Now, I know there's some of us who are really stuck with those regrets and find it so hard to forgive. I didn't say it was easy. That's probably part of that whole suffering with Jesus. When you let someone go, when you let hatred go, resentment go, when you offer forgiveness, you're giving it to God. You're saying, I'm not going to get what I deserve. May not ever get an apology, but I'm going to choose to live a free and forgiving life. So with Jesus' help today, I forgive. And it may come back. Anybody know what comes back? And then, then what do you do when it comes back? With Jesus' help today, I forgive. So resentment, unforgiveness, tradition, the kind of, the, the sick part of tradition, you know. What has somebody said? The seven last words of the church, we never did it that way before, right? We never did it that way before. I'm not sure we've done it this way before. <laughs> um, not sure, maybe. Um, and I love it, I love it that, you know, you at least put up with me, right? <laughs> there he goes again, you know, couches up front, what's he doing? Um, 
Someone told me a long time ago there's four temperaments, sanguine, choleric, phlegmatic, and choleric, choleric, and uh, melancholic, phlegmatic, yeah, those, those. And uh, phlegmatic people are the people who like everybody else to be together, and so they don't want to do, do anything unless they can do it with friends, right? So their, their slogan is, I want to do it together. Uh, choleric people know how to do things properly. And they kind of know there's a way, to, and there's a good way and there's not a good way. And their way is the right way. Anybody know any of those people? And so their slogan is, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. Right? I want to do it right. So some people want to do it together. Some people want to do it right. Um, melancholy people just aren't sure they even want to do it. <laughs> or, or they want to do it you know, alone, basically. It's sort of like, I'll, I'll do it, but I, I'm not really into the team thing. I'll do it alone. And sanguine people say, I don't want to do it if it isn't fun, okay? Now, my temperament is sang-mel, all right? So I'm sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm Canadian. And uh, a little of this and a little of that. So first of all, I want it to be fun. And... Uh, I'd like us to do it together, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) There you go. That explains your pastor. You can pray about that all week. Um, So so where was I? There's a point to this, I know. Okay, so as we follow Christ, we are willing to go along with other people who are different than we are. And when the project is led by a choleric person, we do it their way. When the project is led by a phlegmatic person, we, we get along, and we, we, we're good team players, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're good team players. And when there's a sanguine person in charge, we're going to have some fun, and we decide, okay, I'm going to get on with that, and we'll have some fun, because guess what? I want to follow Christ into the future, and I don't want to stay stuck in the past. And what if the best thing God ever wanted to do in your life is just ahead? What if, the, what if God has only begun to do the thing he intends to do in you and in us? I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be worried about the way we did it before or what I've done in the four other churches I've pastored and miss what God wants to do in me and in us. I don't want to miss it. And so every day when I get up in the morning, I want to say, God, I thank you for all the good of the past. And I choose to let it go and lean into the next thing you want from me. I trust you for the future. You've been with me in the past. You're with me today. You'll be with me tomorrow. And I lean into tomorrow with you. Amen? Amen. The worship team's going to come and we're going to close with a Palm Sunday moment because we recognize the beginning of this very special week. And it is my prayer that this week we will do all five of the things we just talked about. And it won't be just a talk from Philippians chapter 3, but it will be a habit that we develop with God's help. So this week, we will make time. We will make time to relax in God's grace. Say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. And we will make time to think about, you know, what we're really living for. The stuff that doesn't matter doesn't really matter. And the stuff that does, 
duck and to say, you know, I need to get to know Jesus better. I haven't arrived. I'm not full of myself. I want to press on with a humble spirit. And I want to open my life to the next thing, the next thing God has for me. I was working on the Good Friday service. And Good Friday, we're going to walk the way of the cross. And we're going to stop along the way. And I was thinking about Simon the Cyrene. Jesus has bled from the thorns. You know, a head wound really bleeds, right? And he's endured uh, the lash from cracked, strong, highly trained Roman guards who know exactly what they're doing. They know how to take a man to the edge of death and hold him there. And now he's carrying the cross. And he can't do it anymore. And there's this guy, he's just there. Just happens to be from Cyrene, North Africa. Probably probably dark skin. And they grab him. And they make him carry Christ's cross. I'm in that story. I'm in that story. And so I was, you know, I was thinking, wow, I mean, how cool is this going to be? And I'm thinking, well, you know, I, we're all busy, Good Friday, whatever. And I just say, God, you know, it, I, I get to do this. I don't have to do this. You won't, you won't not love me if I don't come or I don't take communion or whatever, but I can. I get to. You invite me to. And I don't know how that all plays out for you. You know, your quiet time this week. I know we all wish we had more time. But we can choose what to do. Will you pray? Mm, The Lord, we just take a deep breath in your presence today. We relax in your grace. We can't earn it, can't deserve it. And though we got into the kingdom through the door of grace, I pray that you would remind us that we live every day by your grace. And when the world tells us that other stuff matters too much, help us to remember who matters most. And to get to know you more, not just about you, but to know you. And to have a humble heart. And to walk day by day into the future you have prepared for us. Until one day, we'll step into eternity with you. And we will go from a life that was centered in Jesus 
go an eternity of loving you back. And I pray that you would use this moment right now as we watch this video and share in this song. I pray that you would use it to draw us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.